let's go. Y'all ready to get funky? Oh my. Hey, you, dare to think. Pizza's great, but it's not the gospel. This program is closed captioned for the Welcome to the campus of LCMSU, everyone. I am the Chancellor, Pastor Marcus Zill. Green chili for everyone. Hey, who let the campus pastor loose in the studio again? Zilly Zilly. Hi. Warning, the show might trigger you if you don't love the gospel and college students. Joining us here today in the Student Union for at least a second, maybe even a third time, I can't recall, is Reverend Sean Kilgo from the Northeastern Kansas Partnership. Four different churches up there in Northeastern Kansas. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing fantabulous. I knew I wouldn't remember the names of all these churches, but uh, give, give us the names of at least the towns where we're talking about Northeastern Kansas where you serve. So we've got Sabetha, Fairview, and Hiawatha, Kansas, which kind of sit along Highway 36. And that's, uh, what, 45 minutes or an hour north of Topeka? Yeah, it's, it's, we're right at an hour north of Topeka. Okay. So. Well, excellent. And uh, you, and I, you and I go way back. All the I way am back a, to Strasburg. Uh, the, spent, uh, spent a couple weeks together in Strasburg. Even before that, uh, we had met. We're both Burkinos, you uh, by, uh, by birth and me by, uh, by choice. <laughs> and we have always had a mutual interest in apologetics and things of that nature and have stayed in touch. You've been uh, out of seminary now for, what, three years? Yep, three years. Uh, it'll be... Uh, it's 12 days till my uh, ordination date. Okay. So. Well, that is excellent, and uh, I'm sure the folks there are happy to have you there as your pastor. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we, we stay in touch with every once in a while, we're good friends, and we were talking the other day and about what we're, what's kind of making us tick and different things lately, and you brought up the, the idea of talking about chastity, the idea of being chaste. And I was like, man... We've got a. This is something that I think is is really a thing, especially for our young people and for all of us. But what what made you get thinking about the topic of chastity? Well, it it started when I was looking at the old blue catechism, uh, the the older translation from what we've got now. And under the sixth commandment, currently our explanation is translated as, "We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do." Well, under the old catechism, it was simply we should uh, fear and love God so that we lead a chaste life, hmm. which I was kind of like, well, okay. These seem to be saying probably the same thing, but but why did we change the language? And so I, uh, probably like most people, the only thought I had of chastity was uh, the chastity belt, particularly Robin Hood men in tights where they're calling for a locksmith and all this. And I, I was like, okay, what, what's going on with this? And I started digging at it, and in the process just uncovered this great treasure of this word that we've, for the most part, lost, uh, not only in society, but uh, especially in the church. So I've been digging at it kind of since then and uh, teaching the, the kids in confirmation and adults as, as they'll listen and everything so well I think you know it's... you know we think of chastity it, it sounds so negative you know like everything you can't do but the word chaste 
I mean, we can't lose these words. You know no. what? Doggone it! These were these are these these words were there for a reason, and when we just kind of let them go, uh, we we tend to lose the the meaning behind why they were there in the first place. You know, when you think about the history of the Missouri Synod, you know, all those that were all afraid of losing, you know, just moving from one language to another. Well, it also happens, we lose a lot in translation when we move from within words that are within our own language. Right. The word chaste, that is awesome. And it's a a positive sounding thing. Well, and it's a weighty word, right? So so it it carries weight with it. The sure. other words don't. So it's like if to, to lose the, the word uh, righteousness, uh, even though you can supplement other words and phrases for that, you lose the weightiness of that word when sure. you do that. So that's the same thing here. So set the stage here. Obviously, we're talking about Six Commandments stuff. Why is this so? Why is this so important? Well, I mean, the reason why it's so important is because uh, we have the Lord's gift of marriage given to us prior to the fall. It continues after the fall. So it's the it's the, kind of the the one remnant uh, that we have prior to the fall, as far as the gift, um, we we say we also have the church, but that's a different uh, conversation. Um, but then the Lord gives us a, a commandment in the sixth that is devoted to the protecting of this, and so it's it's obviously very important to the Lord um, that we deal with this, uh, and so it should be important to us as well. And and when we look at how um, how often things go awry in the scriptures um, that they are very often connected in some way to a breaking the sixth commandment. I mean, that this commandment causes so much uh, the breaking of it causes so much uh, pain in our world that we should really kind of drive at it. And chastity as a, as a virtue uh, gives us a really good framework to work with. Now, one of the things that I love is, is speaking of the commandments is guarding gifts. And right. so in the sixth commandment, you know, we oh, here we go, sixth commandment, all the stuff we aren't supposed to do, right? Well, the whole point of the sixth commandment is to be a, to be a hedge to keep that fence pasture around marriage. Right. Yeah, the, the, the commandments are all, uh, Pastor Wolfmiller will talk about this. Uh, he talks about how the commandments are not pool rules, right? They're not the rules written on the side of the pool, but they're they're putting fences up around God's gifts. Uh, so you have God and his word um, and, and the church and uh, mother and father, authority, uh, life itself, marriage. You've got all these things that, that God gives us, um, and he cares about them so deeply, he sets these these walls and fortresses up around them to, to protect them. And the interesting thing is one of the chief things they're being protected from is ourselves. So um, it's not just being protected from our neighbors it's being protected from ourselves that we would tear down God's gifts um, and, and instead be, be encouraged to, to uphold them. So speaking of um, this fenced pasture of uh, the holy estate of marriage, um, when you when you read through the reformers, when you go back and read some of the great writings, uh, um, marriage marriage is getting more confusing all the time in a worldly sense, just because it's being you know misused. We have homosexual marriage. We got pedophilia coming down the line. Uh, you know, you got all sorts of people marrying trees. Maybe not in Kansas. <laughs> you don't have as many trees. Uh, no. But 
uh, Mary Cornstock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I should probably laugh about it. But it's how silly it's getting. You know, with all do, do the uh, do the reformers tend to think? Do we tend to think historically about? I mean, aren't there how many different types of marriages do we tend to see when we look back through history? Yeah, so there's there's this interesting thing that I came across as I was digging at this that the reformers tend to talk just particularly about marriage, but they qualify in different ways. So you have like what they'll call godly marriage, and that's marriage as it's uh, conducted according to God's institution, right? So you have a man and a woman who are joined together as one flesh uh, for their lives, um, and even within the marriage itself, that's a different deal. But then you have they'll refer to when they talk about things like uh, polygamy or homosexuality, uh, they will periodically use this terminology of an ungodly marriage. And so they, they refer to it as marriage, which is kind of striking to me. But uh, but what they're they're recognizing something in this, which I'll get to in just a second. And then the, the, the other one that I came across is this notion of the secret marriage. Now, we, we use the term chiefly of living together outside of marriage or cohabitation. Right. Um, now, I did come across uh, this other term that's uh, conjugal cohabitation as a description of a godly marriage, which I think is very interesting. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but the idea is that with all of these, they're calling them marriage because the reformers recognize something that we've forgotten, and that is that sex and marriage are the same thing. So in 1 Corinthians 6, St. Paul says, uh, discussing uh, laying with a prostitute, that when you do so, um, the two, he quotes Genesis, the two will become one flesh. And the only other time that that phrase is quoted is in the marriage institution in Genesis, in Matthew and Mark when Jesus upholds it, and in Ephesians 6 when uh, St. Paul is discussing marriage uh, between, man and, between man and wife. Um, and so we see what he's doing here, that he's saying, look, sex and marriage are, are not, in fact, different things. And the reformers, I think, understood that much better than we do. So I think these mm. are helpful categories for us. Um, Boy, to, it's going to be hard-pressed to ever get back to people viewing it that way, though. Yeah, but I, I think that it's it's worth it's worth pursuing. It's worth pressing. Because it gives us categories uh, to use that are, that are actually helpful. So, like, when we talk about um, sex outside of marriage, that phrase itself, even though it's well-intentioned because we want right. people to use God's gift of sex within a godly marriage, uh, it just the way it's phrased, it divorces in people's minds um, these two things. Or they we shouldn't speak ever of, be divorced. We also speak of premarital sex. Right, right. Okay, well, that's uh, that's in essence, but it is not marriage, a category right? that's not po- It's I mean, it's it's we're actually giving ground um, to the the licentious use of of sex outside right. of marriage by sp- even speaking in those categories. Right. What it is is premarital sex is simply marriage apart from the public acknowledgement of marriage. That's is what it is, right? So uh, the more we can get back to speaking in those terms, I think the more helpful it will be and the better off our church and our children will be uh, to think in those terms. I don't know. That's pretty radical, dude. I know. <laughs> no, I I – but when you when you take like premarital sex, you'd put that in like, um, you know, somebody has a has an affair, they have a one night stand, premarital sex, whatever. You're viewing that as uh, as as kind of the, that would be in the category of the secret marriage. In other so, words, you're, you're so having like, sex so like, outside of marriage. It's a secret. I mean, right, I don't so want to press it too this, far, but 
No, this would probably be both. So like adultery, which is defined as um, a married man or a married woman um, having sex with someone who is not the person that they are originally married to. Right. Um, and so what that's doing is it's pulling in both the ungodly marriage because it's a marriage outside of God's instituting of it. Right. And and it's a secret marriage because it's done outside of the public recognition. So it's both. And that uh, public which, recognition which is, so is really terrible. key because marriage, you know, in our society, people kind of kind of turn to marriage into, uh, well, it's all about who I love. And right. as if it's only between me and them. Well, no, it's not. You right. know, there's a reason why it's, you know, dearly beloved, we're gathered together in the sight of God and these witnesses. This is right. a public act of recognition, not only in terms of God, but in terms of the community recognizing this. Anyways, let's let's talk a little bit more. Uh, you've been reading. You told me you've been reading through a little bit of Chemnitz and, and Gerhard. Let's let's stick with Chemnitz here. Why don't you tell us a little bit who about who he was, just real briefly? Go Martin ahead. Chemnitz is he's called the second Martin. He's the generation after Luther. He's one of the guys primarily responsible for. Uh, putting together the formula of Concord, which is the last of our confessional documents, and for combining uh, all these documents into the Book of Concord, which we have now, the, the Lutheran Confessions. Uh, it's very, very important um, in the preservation of the church. And um, so you're working... called the Second Martin. Second Martin. So you're, you're working through, uh, kind of taking a look at the Sixth Commandment, and you came up with, what, six types of uh, violations of the Sixth Commandment, something like that? Yeah, so, so Chemnitz actually says there, there's six uh, external... Uh, violations of the or six, six external ways in which we can categorize um, uh, violations of the sixth commandment or or the um, actions that are counter to chastity is, mm. is kind of how he phrases it which I think is a better way of phrasing it um, the he says external I'll just say the internal he basically just says is concupiscence which is the, the innate desire to sin I mean that one's pretty pretty sure. straightforward but the so the the first one that he talks about is the one we're probably going to think about right away. We've talked about already is uh, the actual sexual union outside of a godly marriage, right? Sure. So uh, this is not only all shameful acts that are contrary to nature. That's Romans one, right? This is uh, homosexuality, pedophilia. It's also adultery because it's the breaking of the marriage vows. Um, but it's also the first Corinthians six passage, joining yourself to a prostitute or just uh, sex outside of the, the public recognition of the marriage union. Sure. So that's that's the that's very easy. obvious one. Yeah. The next one, though, is where you start getting to some of the really interesting stuff. So the next one that he lists is uh, shamefulness or filthiness in speech. And so this is how we uh, talk particularly about marriage. Um, uh, so how we talk about our spouses, how we talk about um, the marriage estate itself and our own marriage. You'll hear kind of joking sometimes. Guys will talk about the old ball and chain. Um, or whatever other kind of phrasing we want to use about that. And that's a disparaging of both womanhood and marriage, right? Um, this shows up, interestingly, around the 1600s, there are some tracks that start running around that, that disparage womanhood, uh, that start talking about women as being kind of a lesser class. And the Lutherans are the primary ones who fight against this and uphold the goodness of woman as, as um, a good gift of God, that, that womanhood is uh, one of the great gifts that God gives So it sounds us. like if you, uh, if you make fun of or even trash the estate of marriage, you're, 
you're basically breaking the sixth commandment, even though we think of it more in terms of sexuality, because you're you're not speaking well and upholding the estate of which the sixth commandment guards. Right, right. And so this is what we would call having unchaste lips, right? Um, and so we're kind of going to be working through different parts of the body, right, in this. Um, because chastity is governing um, our entire body and our entire life, uh, right. which is one of the things that's really, really nice about it. Um, uh, so, so like, uh, St. Paul says, you know, the obscene talk must be put away from your mouth or let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, or no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place for the saints of God, these, these sorts of things that, mm-hmm. and he's talking there, especially about, um, uh, dealing with, with kind of, uh, talking of a sexual nature. Uh, the, the third, um, is uh, he says uh, shameful, lewd, and obscene gestures or symbols that indicate lewdness. Uh, so this is uh, one of the things in here is going to be how you dress. This is always a big topic, right? Um, and what we want to say here is that the way I tend to phrase it is that we are conducting ourselves uh, by our mannerisms and by our our appearance. Uh, uh, for the benefit of our brothers and sisters, that we would seek to aid them in upholding marriage uh, instead of um, hindering them in doing this. Now, the, the you know you get into this whole argument of uh, well, so it's it's all my fault if I dress this way and they you know the guy looks at me or whatever. Um, we don't want to place all the blame there, right? Because we are given to guard our eyes, which we'll see in the next one, but. Uh, at the same time, we do want to consider the, the good of our neighbor, right? That's what the commandments are driving us towards. Um, and we want to help our brothers and sisters to guard their hearts and minds and not hinder them. That's kind of the, the main gist of this. The, the other thing we can see in this, too, is like with the obscene gestures and stuff, is um, uh, when, we, uh, um, when we consider we just had this last month, the all the gay pride parades, and oh, how— yeah. How, when you watch those, how the people present themselves, and it is what we would call a lewd and obscene way, right? And that it that is working against chastity. That that's that's having unchaste actions. We would say or unchaste manners. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the fourth one he lists is lust of the eyes, um, which we can hear, you know. Uh, Jesus' own words, uh, not to look at a woman lustfully. So the third one um, is on on us to not go out of our way to you know to, to be careful about how we present ourselves. Right, that's and, on and us. But, the, but lust of our eyes—that's on me. Right, right. So there's both. Right. So uh, so you've got both sides of it. Uh, we want to balance this, um, uh, but it's. It's not just, you know, looking at, you know, another physical person lustfully. We would obviously put things like pornography in here as well. Sure. Um, but also just, just anything that is going to cause our eyes to um, uh, to implant things into our heart and mind that are, that are ungodly. Uh, so like David says this in Psalm 101, that I love this quote. Uh, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not house i will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless hmm. or anything that is ungodly right so so we should consider that when when we're absorbing any sort of media especially because it's just all over the place um but also like if if you see someone who's dressed provocatively you know exercise some 
some chastity and avert your eyes, right? I mean, it's uh, it, it falls on both sides of this as well. Sure. Um, there's an interesting thing that the church fathers deal with this on whether or not the Christians should go to the Colosseum, uh, and that it's this kind of this is the direction they take it that no Christians shouldn't go to the Colosseum and invite in the games because it's not fitting for Christians to look upon such things. Hmm. So that's that's I think really uh, informative. The fifth one is. Um, he says, all unlawful occasions or opportunities for uncleanness. I, this is maybe the most fascinating to me because I'll ask that, like our confirmants, what commandment does drunkenness break? And they know that commandment, that, that drunkenness is a sin, but they can't tell me what commandment it breaks. And there's two that it, it, it'll hit. It hits the fifth commandment because it damages your body. Sure. Um, if, uh, but it's also the sixth commandment because it provides the opportunity, uh, the, the, as Kevin says the unlawful occasion uh, for uncleanness, right? So, um, well, and they all hit the first. All sins of sin they, they, against they all, the first. Yeah, they all too. hit the first. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, so, like St. Paul says, um, to, to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, to give no opportunity right. for this, right? And, and drunkenness inhibits you, right? But there's other things like uh, idleness and luxury, false security. Uh, we talked about this earlier that, that um, you and I, that, that luxury comes from the Latin word that means lust, right? Which is very interesting. That's that would be something to dig at. Fascinating. Um, uh, it's a feast of the also, eyes. Luxury is a feast for the eyes. Right. But also we can look at, and this is, I love this, oh, what the sin of Sodom is, right? So uh, everybody always thinks, well, homosexuality, right? Well, that's one of their sins. But when Ezekiel talks about the sin of Sodom, he lists this. He says pride, gluttony, and idleness, hmm. right? Um, that the, and it's out of that that arises their various sexual deviancy. So those are actually what's at the core. Same with, with David. David's idleness, instead of being out and fighting in the wars that go, that's going on, he's sitting lounging around the house, and it gives him the opportunity to covet Bathsheba, and we know everything that comes after that. Absolutely. And then the last one, and this applies to every commandment. Yeah, and we just got like two, three minutes here left, so let's yeah. do this quick and put a bow on this. And Yeah. And, yeah. Everything uh, is uh, defending, aiding, not prohibiting in other circumstances or sharing in another person's sin, right? This is the end of Romans 1, uh, that we, want, we don't want to give approval to other people doing this either. So we should just remember that with every sin. But... Um, to kind of close this, right? We remember uh, St. Paul says that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. Uh, and that includes all sorts of sexual sins. And he says, such were some of you, but, but you have been washed. You've sanctified, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and by the spirit of our God, it, this is our baptism, right? So the Lord has claimed us as his own in our baptism so that we belong to Jesus. We're bought with a price, with this holy and precious blood and this innocent suffering and death. And in that, we're then bid to glorify God in our bodies because it's it's no longer our bodies. It, it's uh, we um, our bodies are not our own, says Saint Paul. Um, and we remember that Jesus Himself is chaste. He sets this example for us. But also that because He's chaste and lives this commandment perfectly, that He has um, uh, that He has taken away the wrath that is deserved uh, for our unchaste lives in, in every aspect. And so we can uh, go then joyfully living chastely. Um, and when we fail, we trust in the Lord's mercy uh, through the life of Christ.
Oh, absolutely. You know what I love about this this word chaste is it is it really gets to the heart of of really it's a, it's a discipline for life. It's not just a don't do this, don't do that. It's as you mentioned, uh, Wolf Miller's uh, speaking of pool rules. Um, it's a positive sounding word. It's being chaste, and, and every and I mean, what we've done with the catechism, if we've explained in ten twelve words what this one word gets at um, in the positive. Um, right. And it seems to me that uh, we're all needing this kind of discipline because being chaste, it's not just for people that are married or, or aren't married yet, right? Isn't it for all of us? Right. It's for everybody. And it is a wonderful gift to everybody. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Pastor Kilgo. Thank you, Sean, for uh, helping to keep this in front of us. I, I think we need to explore these things, uh, the collective we, all of us. Um, who bear the name of Christ and uh, rediscover the use of these glorious words and also uh, um, how chastity instructs our, our, our daily life. So thank you for keeping this in front of us. Have a great one. Oh, thanks for having me on. Well, that's all we have time for here today in the Student Union. Check out the archives of this program at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.